words. Wonderful, wicked, widespread words. Words are all around us. Conversations, radio, podcasts, music, television, magazines, preaching, books, newspapers, billboards, theater productions, social media, classrooms. We are surrounded by words. Words communicating to us and communicating from us. Words are enlightening. Words are telltales of the heart revealing what's inside a person. Words are the dead giveaway of the heart. James says this about words. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. James says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Think about that. A world of unrighteousness that is right inside of your mouth. James says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James talks about people taming animals. Think of a lion tamer. The guy puts his head inside of a lion's mouth. And James adds, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison." Why is the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison? Because words are telltales of the heart. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The heart is the spring from, with, uh, from which our words gush. Words give the heart away. Think about the deadly poisons of the tongue, lying, cursing, grumbling, nagging, whining, boasting, gossiping, flattering, flirting, insulting, blaspheming, exaggerating, instigating, arousing. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness because within the heart is unrighteousness. The tongue simply tells the heart's story. So do the pen. And keyboard, letters, emails, social media posts tell you a lot about people and in many cases are a sad commentary on the person's entire life. Words, tremendous, terrible, telltale words. As believers, we have new and redeemed hearts, hearts indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. Our hearts and mouths have been set free from all the power of the devil. It is our ambition then, brothers and sisters, to think and to speak that which pleases our Heavenly Father, that which matches our identity in Christ. But our words are still very hard for us to control because we are still battling our sinful flesh. James addresses Christians who are still in that battle, uh, still putting sin to death. He says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James says, for from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? 
Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is capturing that struggle inside of Christians. We glorify God with our words, and yet we also sin against God with our words. James calls Christians to repentance, to sanctification of the tongue. Brothers and sisters, every good Genuinely good now, word that you speak. Perhaps praise, worship, thanksgiving, encouragement. Every good word that you speak is an opportunity for you to thank God for graciously working in you. And every malicious, misspoken, and careless word that you say testifies to how much you need God's grace and his forgiveness and how much you depend on Christ to sanctify your heart and tongue. My point is a call to repentance and righteousness of word and deed. My point is Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul, Paul said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, through him. That's union with Christ language. Brothers and sisters, we are united to Jesus Christ, our Lord, by grace alone, through faith alone. What we say and do arises out of our identity in Christ. We are in Christ, so our speech and lifestyle must reflect our union with the word of God. You belong to Christ, which means that your mouth belongs to Christ. He must conquer the world of unrighteousness in your mouth and thus reign and rule over your mouth, putting into it that which is good. And your Lord is sanctifying your tongue by sanctifying your heart. Let's unpack the text. Number one, a tree is known by the fruit it produces, and you are known by your words and actions. Think about what just happened in Matthew, and you'll notice a sharp contrast between the fruits of Jesus and the fruits of the Pharisees. Jesus' fruits, his words and actions, unquestionably revealed that he is truly good, supremely good, divinely good. The Pharisees' fruit, on the other hand, revealed that they were bad, filled with self-righteousness, hatred, and murder because they spoke blasphemous and irrational words. Do you remember? It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Their blasphemy was a dead giveaway of their hearts. So Jesus said, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And this parallels what Jesus said earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount about false prophets. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The Pharisees were considered the most righteous and pious people around, and yet their hearts were being known by their rancid fruit. Now, I don't think Jesus was suggesting that they become good in the sense of moral perfection. 
Only God is good and only God can make good. I take Jesus to be calling them out of their hypocrisy and into a humble, repentant, and believing posture before him who alone is good. They they needed to put aside their pretense of righteousness and either come to Jesus humbly or just be openly who they really were, bad trees. Calvin said, Christ does not demand absolute and entire perfection, but only a sincere and unfeigned disposition. A sincere and unfeigned disposition, which the Pharisees whom he addresses were far from possessing. A a good tree in this context seems to be a genuinely repentant person who comes to Jesus with open heart. With an open heart and open hands. Good fruit is humble and favorable disposition toward Jesus. A bad tree rejects Jesus. Bad fruit is self-righteous contempt for Jesus. Their bad fruit was the dead giveaway. Jesus indicted the Pharisees again. He called them bad trees with bad fruit because they were opposing him and plotting his destruction and attributing his wonderfully compassionate and good and truthful ministry to that of Satan. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Dr. Doriani says, quote, we must have good hearts if we hope to say good things, end quote. The beauty, the beauty of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that God graciously gives us new hearts clean hearts, good hearts, and he puts the Holy Spirit into our hearts to grow the delicious fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And because the Holy Spirit is growing this fruit in us, our mouths then are becoming more loving. Joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Now, let's be honest. Some of of our fruit is just flat-out rancid and nasty. We are not perfect trees, but our gracious arborist is pruning us, cutting off the bad fruit so that we can bear more good fruit. Snip, and the bad flower and fruit falls. And he grows a better flower and more good fruit in its place. The tree is known by its fruit. Now let me draw your attention to this. I think it's important to see this. To say that a tree is known by its fruit means that those around the tree know the tree by its fruit. Think about that. Some professing Christians have a very individualistic view of their faith in Christ. They seem to think that their own opinion of their fruit is all that matters, as if the assessment of the church around them doesn't matter much at all. They they think they have good fruit, and that satisfies them. That's good enough, as long as I think I have good fruit. And some Christians don't seem to care what the body of Christ thinks about their fruit, as long as they think well of their fruit. But if the body of Christ is seeing and tasting rancid fruit from you, that's saying something about you. The tree is known by its fruit. So we all need true and intimate community with one another. 
to know one another, to experience one another's fruit, because that's part of our assurance. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and his church, the church of which I am one with, his beloved church. We, we must humbly uh, be humbly open to know how others are experiencing us, how they experience our words and actions. Don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ in your local church and don't assess your fruit on your own. That's eternally dangerous. The body of Christ must also assess your fruit and help you see yourself more clearly. We need each other. You know, from personal testimony, a few brothers here from Jerusalem Church, in particular a few brothers, have been very encouraging to me, telling me the fruit that they see in my life. And that helps assure me. If they didn't see fruit, if they didn't taste fruit from me, it would be actually quite unsettling for me and undermine my assurance. So ask yourself some introspective questions. What kind of tree am I? What kind of fruit is Jerusalem church picking from me? Do I speak words of encouragement, wisdom, knowledge, and love to my brothers and sisters in Christ? I wonder if you've ever cared to know what the body of Christ thinks about your fruit. Is that important to you? Have you ever thought to talk about your fruit with a few others that are close to you? Now, I'm not advocating defining ourselves by the opinions of other peoples or people-pleasing. That's very dangerous. That's not what I'm talking about here. Neither am I talking about being critical or judgmental of others. I'm not talking about that. I'm simply asking whether you are aware of how you are known and experienced by those in your church, those around you. A tree is known by the fruit it produces and you are known by your words and actions. How does your church know you? Number two, your words are the dead giveaway of your heart. Jesus told the most pious and righteous and well-respected religious people of the day, verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the Pharisees had just attributed the ministry, the compassionate and loving ministry of Jesus to Satan. They're irrational so Jesus concluded what he needed to conclude, that they were the offspring of venomous serpents. He said, without equivocation, how can you speak good when you are evil? And we have to recognize, not only here, but in other occasions, Jesus Christ the Lord did call people evil. Religious people. Evil trees do evil things and speak evil things. Their hypocrisy warranted severe criticism from Jesus. Calvin said, when hypocritical persons pervert what is right or put a false coloring on what is sinful, such wickedness renders it necessary that God should thunder against it in a more terrible manner than against other sins. Unquote. 
You see, the Pharisees perverted what was right. And they dressed up what is sinful. And Christ thundered judgment against them. Just open your ears and, and, and listen to what the world says. How does the world speak? The world that we live in, how does it speak? If you listen carefully to the words of our culture, you will hear the perversion of what is right and a false coloring of what is sinful. There are too many examples to list. How does our world talk about truth, God, the Bible, human nature, science, literature, sex, marriage, work, education? It's obvious the world is confused. They cannot speak good because they are evil and obviously out of touch with the law and gospel. Just listen to what people say. Hear what they believe and you will know them. Jesus said it well, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The abundance is that which is left over. It's the remains, the extra the same word is used in Mark 8, 8 when Jesus miraculously uh, fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, and the disciples took up the broken pieces left over, same word, seven baskets full. They had an abundance after eating. The mouth speaks that which overflows from the heart. Words reveal what's in the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. J.C. Ryle said, quote, our words are the evidence of the state of our hearts as surely as the taste of the water is an evidence of the state of the spring, unquote. Folks, through the years of my life, I have said very painful and shameful and hurtful things. It seems like from the time that I was born, I have struggled with my mouth. Constant struggle with my mouth. You can ask my mother. But I want to read for you what my fifth grade teacher said on my report card. And yes, I do still have the report card from my fifth grade year. But uh, listen, listen to what she said. I am enjoying learning to know Jonathan. I especially appreciate his cooperative spirit and conscientiousness in his schoolwork. I would like to see Jonathan become as conscientious in his interactions with his peers and to respect their rights and feelings above his own. Folks, it goes deep, really deep. I don't know what my first words were, but I can imagine they were negative in some way. Every good word that Jonathan Shirk has spoken in his life is to be directly attributed to mercy and grace. See, my struggle with words communicates to me and to others my sinfulness and need of God's mercy and grace on a regular basis. When I ridicule, it exposes the cruelty that is in my heart and which needs to die for the glory of Christ. When I speak sexually explicit words, it exposes the impurity of my heart which must die for the glory of Christ. When tasteless words just roll off my tongue, 
It shows something about my heart, the anger, the impatience, and the discontent that are in my heart that must die for the glory of Christ. When my words, when they carry that sharp and cutting and biting edge that wounds, it exposes the poverty of gentleness and kindness and love in my heart, a poverty that only the riches of Christ's grace can overcome. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you see, brothers and sisters, I have the gospel. And you have the gospel, which tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we struggle so much to control our mouths, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse our mouths from all unrighteousness and to lead us to say good things instead. It is the grace of God through union with the word of God which brings forth from our mouths words that please God. Jesus continued, verse 35 The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Now that word uh, for treasure can refer to the treasure itself. But in this context, I think it is better understood as a treasure box or a storehouse where treasure is kept. And I think this is the same sense of the word in Matthew 2.11 when the wise men came to the Christ child and they opened their treasures or their treasure boxes and offered Christ the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I want you to think about your heart, your inner self, as a treasure box filled with treasure. It could be a good treasure, or it could be evil treasure. But when your heart, your treasure box is opened, what comes out of your mouth and what you do with your body reveals what's stored up inside of your treasure box. Jesus, let's just be clear on this, folks, so we don't get confused. Jesus is the only good person. He's the only good person. His heart is a storehouse of infinite and good treasures as as we see throughout the Gospel of Matthew and Scripture. A sinful human being's heart is a storehouse of evil. There are no good people, only evil people and redeemed people who continue to struggle with evil. But through the Gospel, God grants sinners new hearts makes them a treasure box of God because God dwells in them and graciously brings forth good things from them. This is mercy at work. This is grace at work. When the heart of a redeemed child of the king is open, good treasure overflows in increasing amounts because the spirit is producing the treasures. Brothers and sisters, you got to know that your heart is a storehouse, a treasure box of treasure. Open your mouth then and let the good treasures of Christ pour forth to the glory of your heavenly Father and to the good of your neighbor. Now you will not always get it right. You will sometimes say terrible things, very hurtful things, shameful, shameful things. But see, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance and God-glorifying speech. 
Dr. Leon Morris wrote, our deeds are a reflection of what we are and they show what we really value deep down. And of course, we can produce from our treasure only what is there. You get that? We can produce from our treasure only what is there. The Pharisees' mouths only brought forth what was in the treasure box of their hearts. You and I are doing the same. What's in your treasure box? What's in your treasure box? If God's grace and spirit are in you, then your heart is filled with good treasure and when you speak, those treasures will be heard and when you act, those treasures will be seen. The same is true of of everyone empty of God's grace and spirit. Evil will pour forth. And we define good and we define evil not by our culture's perception and definition, but only by God's holy and authoritative word which defines us for us what good and evil truly are. The Bible helps us discern the tree and the fruit on it and the treasure box and the treasure within it. Your words are the dead giveaway of your heart. Three, you are accountable to God and will be judged for your words. The Pharisees were speaking evil and Jesus addressed it with words of judgment. He told them, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, I want you to understand Jesus' argument here. So think of it like this. This might be helpful. If you get a speeding ticket for going seven miles per hour over the limit... How much more will you receive the penalty of the law if you drive 100 miles per hour over the limit and you use your car as a weapon against pedestrians? If you get in trouble for swiping a Snickers at sheets, how much more will you get in trouble if you rob Fulton Bank at gunpoint? You get the idea. On Judgment Day, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, Jesus is saying that everyone will give account for every careless word they speak. Careless words are words spoken without forethought, without really considering carefully how much those those words are going to impact others. We just spit them out, and there they are, worthless. We are accountable to God for every single one of those careless words. How much more will we be accountable in the end day for words of blasphemy and the like? We must be careful not to speak careless words. Additionally, though the irrational Pharisees ascribed Christ's ministry to Satan, what? In the end, Christ will be vindicated. Christ will be vindicated. It will be seen by all at the judgment that Christ Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of Satan. And he alone is the King of Kings. And the Pharisees were obscenely wrong. That will come out. In that day, all who spoke against Jesus Christ will be condemned because their words will condemn them. Number four. Your words will either justify or condemn you on judgment day. In verse 37, Jesus says, 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So on judgment day, your words will either justify you or condemn you. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to be very, very careful with this verse. Very careful. You must think clearly now. Scripture is clear that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we are not justified by our words or actions. Christ alone is our justification before God. Jesus is using justified in the sense that our words confirm the state of our heart and our status before God. It's a confirmation. Since out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the words confirm or verify or justify the condition of the heart. In James 2, Abraham is actually said to be justified by works. Excuse me? Paul seems to argue the opposite in his epistles. But see, James is using justified in a different sense than what Paul used it. James is saying that Abraham's faith, his justification before God in a legal or redemptive sense is validated or authenticated by the fruit of the faith, namely by the works. When Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, it was not the work of offering him that justified him. No, his faith was shown or verified by the offering of his son. Good works are the fruit of true faith and do not contribute to a just standing before God in any way. So since our words tell the true story of our hearts, we will be either justified or condemned by our words. On judgment day, our words will either testify of true faith or of no faith at all. Because our words are determined by the state of our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So maybe this will help. One study note explained, though believers are justified by faith alone in terms of God's relationship to them, God will publicly vindicate them and declare them righteous on the judgment day according to how their speech and actions show their faith in Christ to be genuine. Do you understand? It's easy to say that you love Jesus. Rolls off the tongue. It's easy to say that you follow Jesus. It's out there. That's easy. But it's an entirely different thing to speak and to do what pleases Jesus as the authentication of your true love for Jesus. Two different things. Words and actions display true faith or the lack thereof. Dr. Hendrickson said this, To be sure, a man is saved by grace alone through faith, apart from any works considered as if they have earning power. Nevertheless, his works, this includes his words, supply the needed evidence showing whether or not he was and is a child of God. Do you understand? What evidence will there be on judgment day that you actually loved and followed Jesus? What evidence will there be? 
Your words and actions are part of that judgment. They, they matter. The, the, the question is, will your words and actions justify you or condemn you? Will your words and actions be conclusive evidence that your faith was true faith and that you indeed are a child of God? Now, you need to think carefully, very carefully. See, Christ and Christ alone is your justification before God. Christ is. He is your righteousness. You have no righteousness apart from Christ. But if you have truly received Christ and have received the gift of his righteousness, your words confirm it. They will confirm it. They will, you you rather, having received his grace, justification by faith, you will speak words of truth, knowledge, forgiveness, patience, Kindness, hope, encouragement, your words will be sweet to others. Because you have truly received Christ by faith, you will also speak words of confession of sin, grief over sin, and repentance. Believers are not perfect with their words. We, we just have to understand that. We'll never get it all right in this life. We're not perfect with our words. Only Christ Jesus is perfect, only Pure and unadulterated truth flows from his spring, but, but believers' words are filled with faith and dependence on Christ, confidence and hope in Christ, appeals and petitions to Christ. Words. Words are the dead giveaway of the heart. Number five, we are desperate for our Lord to change our hearts. And as he does, our words follow suit. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You do nothing apart from Christ. You will not be able to control your mouth apart from Christ. Apart from abiding in him, apart from abiding in his word, apart from his word abiding in you. When that curse word flies out of your mouth, it tells you something about your heart. There is anger, impatience, and selfishness in you that must be put to death. But the gospel says that Christ changes your heart and helps you to speak loving, patient, and kind words instead. When you use God's name in flippant and offhanded ways, it tells you something about your heart. You do not hallow and revere and worship God as you should, but the gospel says that Christ changes your heart and helps you speak the name of your God with worship and praise and thanksgiving and adoration and reverence and exaltation. When when you tell what often people call a little white lie. When you tell that little white lie, it tells you something about your heart. Present in your heart is fear and deceit and pride and duplicity and fraud and too little love of the truth. But the gospel says that Christ transforms your heart and helps you love and speak truth. Because you love God. When you snap at your spouse or at your children, that little sarcastic edge that was with me yesterday with my kids, that twinge of irritation tells you something about your heart. 
It tells you that you are still selfish and easily offended and impatient and prone to anger. But the gospel says that Christ can change your heart and help you speak to others with respect, love, esteem, patience, gentleness, and kindness. Because that's Jesus' heart. And he's conforming your heart to his. When, when that sexual joke or that little flirtation just comes out of your mouth and the people are laughing and so are you, it tells you something about your heart. Lust lives in you. Sexual immorality lives in you. And they must die for the glory of Christ. But the gospel says that Christ, by his sovereign grace, transforms the heart and helps us to speak pure and wholesome and virtuous words. I like how someone once said, our conversation has only made work for repentance. Folks, I've been there too many times to count Good gracious, I can't get my mouth under control. It's been a lifelong battle. But brothers and sisters, I have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is sanctifying our hearts and our words must follow suit. As grace continues to sanctify your heart, grace continues to sanctify your mouth. Are you feeling convicted? I hope so. Then let the humble prayer of your heart be Psalm 1914. May this be what you sincerely cry out to your Father who loves you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Paul exhorted the church in Ephesus, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, that by grace alone, through faith alone, our words would become less and less corrupting and more and more grace-giving to those who hear us. Do your spouse, children, friends, bosses, co-workers, politicians, referees, I had a, a hard week with referees, teammates, locker room buddies, all hear grace in your words or do they hear corrupting talk? We are all desperate for God's mercy and grace in this area. I am desperate for it. We'll not make progress without Christ. We have all used words to harm. Only the word of God incarnate, only the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ is pure in speech and pure in heart, and it is him alone that can help us get a handle on our mouths. And when we praise our God, when we worship our God, when we revere our God, when we extol our God, it is evidence of his sovereign grace at work in us. Otherwise, we would not speak that way. In John 6, after a lot of Jesus' disciples just Stop following him. They didn't like what he taught. They turned back and they didn't follow him anymore. A rough moment. 
of unbelief there, and Jesus asked his disciples who remained, do you want to go away as well? And I love what Simon Peter said. His words are so honest, so true. His words so clearly show who Jesus is. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Christ has the words of eternal life which flow from his life-giving heart and person. So let us go to him, brothers and sisters. Let us go to him together so that he may give us the words of life and that he may fill our hearts with the words of life so that our mouths, from our mouths, will come words of life. Let us go to him asking him to conquer the world of unrighteousness that is right inside of our mouths and to place righteousness on our tongues instead. Now, I challenge you to read the Proverbs on words. Man, does it ever say some great stuff? The Proverbs say marvelous things about words, but let me close with these few lines from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 31 and 32 say this, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. You see, a righteous heart makes righteous lips. Proverbs 16, 23 and 24 say this, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is our honeycomb. The gospel is our honeycomb, sweetness for our soul, health and strength for our bodies. And so may our sweet Savior make our words then a honeycomb. A sweet taste to many souls yearning for a good word. Look around, there are so many souls just yearning for a good word and culture cannot speak them. Who is speaking words of life today? The church is, the true church of Christ has the gospel to, to speak, the honeycomb of the world, the sweet taste to souls who need that sweetness. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.